How does God guide you? Or me? How does God speak to us humans, limited as we are? So if you would, think about some decision that you have to make in your life right now. What is it that you are wondering about and going to have to decide? Well, how is it that you will go about hearing from God about that? Over the years, people have often wished that God would take up skywriting. That would make it simple, uh, but he doesn't. Or we have longed that God would speak in an audible voice, which he does do sometimes, just exceedingly rarely. I once had a chance to talk to the pollster George Gallup and uh, he told me that when he was a boy, he heard the audible voice of God. Um, so he'd had that experience, but I, I have not. And so then other people try to uh, discern God's will in ways that they can kind of control or that tap into spirits that are not God, which so God forbids divination, trying to read his will through animal entrails or, or tea leaves or horoscopes or lines on your palm. And so that won't work. So let me ask again, how does God guide you? Well, tonight we remember and celebrate here on Epiphany that when Jesus was born, he was revealed by God, not just to the people of Israel, God's historic chosen people of faith, and not to the people to who, whose ethnic background he shared in this in his birth, but the people of a completely foreign culture, a strange language, a different religion. We call those people the Magi. And God reveals Jesus in such a way that it gets these Zoroastrian astronomers to leave home, travel 900 miles, and end up in the exact right house where Jesus is sitting on Mary's lap. And God gives them enough revelation that though they're looking at a toddler, they know this is the new king. And they fall down in worship and lavish him with gifts. Now, among many other things we could say about this passage, it is an astonishing display of God's power to reveal himself to people and to guide people. And it turns out that how God reveals himself to these magi is also how God reveals himself to us. God uses, and we'll see this tonight, three ways that he guides the magi. And he uses those same three ways to guide you and me in our lives, in our decisions. So I call them the three wise means of revelation. He may be sick, but he can still do a play on words. I hope that tonight you will marvel at God's sheer ability to guide human beings like you and me and to reveal himself to us. And then you will open yourself more fully to the ways in which he may guide you. All right, let's start at Matthew 2, the beginning of our gospel reading tonight. And thank you, Hope and all the dramatists for that wonderful presentation. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men or magi from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn King of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. Now, who exactly are these wise men or magi, these scholars who have come from almost a thousand miles away, somewhere near Tehran, to worship the just-born king? Well, probably they are experts in astronomy, and they maybe also study a little medicine and a little science. They're basically like PhDs working for the king. And one night, they're working away in their government-funded think tank, and they notice a really bright star in the sky. Some people have conjectured that it may have been a conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter like we had about a year ago, if you remember. Anyway, whatever it was, they measure this unusual star and they track it. And then they start looking through their library to try to find out more about what it means, what's going on. And they come across the Hebrew scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. And these had been brought to the East 600 years earlier by the Jews who got captured and exiled there. And now either one of these Magi scholars has done the hard work to learn Hebrew so he can read those scriptures, or maybe the scriptures have already been translated from Hebrew into their language, Old Persian. Today, that language we would call Farsi. Anyway, those scriptures say, and this is in Numbers 24, if you're wondering, there shall come a star out of Jacob. Okay, that's what they're seeing. They're seeing a star rising up out of the land of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So these scholars combine their nights of measuring in the observatory with their days of studying in the library and they correctly figure this out a star, check, and a scepter, okay, this bright star over Judea, the land of Jacob, means that a king has been born for the Jewish people. We should lead a royal delegation to honor this new king and, and bring this king valuable gifts. Now, can we stop for a moment and consider how crazy it is that these people have put it together through the revelation that they have? You would think they would be the absolute last people to know, let alone care about, this new Jewish king. Let's start with the fact that they are Zoroastrian, a very different religion. They are worshipers of Ahura Mazda. And yes, it does sound like a car. They probably mix into their astronomy dashes of astrology, which is why one Jewish rabbi said, he who learns from Magi is worthy of death. The Magi do not speak Hebrew, they don't speak Aramaic, they speak their own Persian, and they live far, far away. But despite every sort of disadvantage they may have, God gives them enough revelation to guide them to the right country. Now, how does he do it? Well, the first means of revelation that he uses is the star, an unusually bright star in a particular location. The Magi observe this because they study astronomy. So we might say that 
they have gotten revelation from God through science, the natural sciences in this case. Or more broadly, we might call this means of revelation the world. Oh, and I happen to have a large W. What are the odds? All right. God is constantly revealing himself to us through the world, his own creation, which so it makes sense. In fact, he reveals himself so much through creation that the Bible's book of Romans says this, people know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. God guides us through his world. And we might say even more broadly than that, that God guides us through just learning about the world, through study in general. Has God guided you through learning? You were studying something, or maybe you Googled something, and what you learned helped you in your life, helped you make a good decision, helped you in the direction of your life. For example, I watched on YouTube one time a documentary on the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and how eating our plastics is killing off seabirds. And it so sickened me learning that, that I have become a bit of a crazy man about recycling plastics. Studying and learning about the world around us, it is so seemingly common to us though, so recurring and mundane that we don't even think that this is a big part of how God reveals himself and how he guides us. And yet the Magi, they're doing their astronomical observations. Had they not been doing that study of the world, that learning of information, they would not have gotten to where they needed to go when they needed to go there. This applies to lots of things in life. Why do I wear a mask when I go to the store? Because I believe God guides us through the natural sciences of biology and epidemiology. Knowledge empowers people. It expands their lives. Look at the history of Christianity. And from day one, wherever Christians go, they start schools, they develop literacy programs, and they teach people how to learn. Because one of God's wise means of revelation is the world. Now, what is true, and Christians have certainly pointed this out, is that learning and the natural sciences can take us only so far. The Magi see that star and they know it's unusual, but they don't know totally what it means until they open the scriptures, most likely, as I said, to Numbers 24. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of uh, Israel. With that much scripture, they get to the right country. But now this new king could be in any one of a thousand different villages. <laughs> they got to narrow it down. So they just show up in the capital, Jerusalem, and they start asking around, where's your newborn king of the Jews? Verse four, King Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. And he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, this is what the prophet Micah wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you're not the least among the ruling cities of Judah because a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. 
So to get to the right city, namely Bethlehem, the Magi need more scripture. The prophet Micah, 700 years before this, had said the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, which is in itself astonishing. How does Micah know this 700 years ahead? It's like the medieval poet Dante predicting that I would be born in Philadelphia and getting that right. I mean, this level of revelation can come only by the Spirit of God, which is why the Bible, God's inspired word, is such a powerful means of revelation. So, as good as learning is, the world, and it, God teaches us through his world, we can never know God fully without the word, his word to us. One of the early Christians, Jerome, put it this way, ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. So God guides us both through his world and his word. Now, most of the time, how God guides us through his word is slow and subtle. As we read the Bible and we ponder it and we pray over it, over time, if we come at it with the right spirit, it begins to change the kind of people that we are. So, for example, this Good Friday, you will be invited to give toward people in our, a program in our area, a training program for young people who, because they are recent immigrants or struggled in school or have some developmental delays or whatever, find it difficult to get a job, even in this current employment context. And so this program wraps around these young people. It improves their language skills. It teaches them how to dress for interviews, how to do all those things that maybe we found basic, but they were actually taught to us, okay? And it helps them land a job. So you're gonna be invited and you'll have a decision to make. Do, am I gonna give to this Good Friday gift this year or not? Now, if I've already spent time in God's word, I will have read the person who is kind to the poor lends to God and God will repay him. Okay, that's clear. Or I will have read the words of Jesus in so much as you did it to the lowest and least person of my brothers, you did it to me. So it's not gonna be a struggle for me to decide this Good Friday, am I going to contribute? Because God's word has already guided me. It made me a different kind of person. All right, but there are times where God may use his word to guide us in a more unusual or direct manner. When I, I was a senior in college, I was planning, here was my plan, I was gonna graduate, get married, start seminary, all within a matter of a couple of months. And one day I was reading God's word and I came to Deuteronomy 24 and verse five, which is a little bit of an obscure text. And it says, if a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he has married. And I thought, wow, that is really interesting. How humane to allow this year, kind of a sabbatical year for this young couple before the man is sent off to the rigors and the danger of the battlefront. How wise of God. And then I recalled a friend of mine who was a few years older who had gotten married and immediately gone to grad school. And I knew that that had put a lot of strain on that young marriage. And I put all this together and it seemed like God was 
giving me wisdom and guidance. And so I called up the seminary and I asked for a one-year extension on my acceptance. And they said, yeah. And then I just found a simple nine to five job where I could actually have a lot of energy left to just pour into the relationship building of this young marriage without undue pressures. And you know what, Karen and I look back now 40 years later and we go, that was a great call, smarter than we knew. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just going step by step, but man, it really helped build in a foundation that we have counted on later. God guides you through his word. If you come with an open and receptive spirit, he will guide you. It's based on the Bible's book of Magi, that, uh, Micah, excuse me, that the Magi go to Bethlehem. And it says they entered the house. By this point, uh, Mary and Joseph and the baby are now in a, a longer term lodging situation there in Bethlehem with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for the king of kings, frankincense for the priest of all priests, and myrrh for the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. At this point, Jesus is probably about 18 months old, and he's probably squirming on Mary's lap. But these foreign dignitaries get this much. This youngster is a king. He's been revealed by a star. He's been revealed again in the words of Scripture, Numbers 24 and Micah 5, verse 2. He is worthy of honor, and they even go beyond honor and fall down before him in worship. God has guided them through his world, and he has also guided him through his word. But God hasn't finished guiding these magi. Look at verse 12. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, meaning they didn't go back through Jerusalem. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, Herod had seemed like a nice guy. He seemed like he was totally interested in worship like them. He had specifically instructed them, you come back here and tell me where he is. But God warns them in a dream. A dream. I think, what if those magi had ignored that and had done what is so common in our sort of reductionist era, and we just go, oh, we just ate too much hummus. They would have gone back to Herod, divulged where Jesus was, and Herod might have gotten his evil hands on the boy, but for the intervention of God. But because they take this dream seriously, God guides them through it for the protection of the baby Jesus. Now, if it seems to you that God guiding us through a dream is a little bit unusual and a little bit out there, if you read Matthew 1 and 2, you will see that God guides people by a dream five times. This is only one out of the five. The other ones are how he guides Joseph. Don't break off your engagement. That comes through a dream. Flee the country while you can. That comes through a dream. Okay, you can go back home now. That comes through a dream. And don't settle in Judea near Herod's son. Go north to Galilee to be further away, which is how Jesus ends up growing up in Nazareth. God promises i will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions your old men will dream dreams you know it is the 
part of the revelating power of God to reveal himself to others through prophecies, through visions, and through dreams. Or in the case of the prophet Elijah, through that still small voice, through direct communication, God's spirit to us. So I will call this third wise means of revelation, and you know at this point, it's got to start with a W, <laughs> God's whispers. My niece, uh, Becky, a member here at Savior, told me about an experience she had when God guided her through a dream. And I, uh, with her permission, I want to share this story, quoting her. In 2000, I was a college student praying about my future. I felt called to missions and ministry, but I, I didn't know where God wanted me to go or what God wanted me to do. I asked the elders of my church to pray with me and one of them encouraged me that God might speak to me in a dream. I paid careful attention to my dreams, and a few nights later, I had a vivid dream that I was in a European city walking across the cobblestone center square toward a huge stone church. And the people that I was with in the dream were carrying instruments and microphones. We stepped into the church and it was dusty and empty, and we laid down temporary flooring and we set up chairs and sound equipment. It was as if we were having church in a place that hadn't been used as a church in a long time. So when I woke up, I wrote down that dream in my journal. 10 years later, I was talking with my former youth pastor who was now a missionary in the Netherlands. And he said, Becky, I, I know you've always been passionate about missions. You should think about coming over to Maastricht and helping us plant an international church. And so I looked up that city on Wikipedia and the first picture was of the Freithof, that cobblestone center square and the exact church I had seen in my dream a decade before, down to the details. So we accepted that invitation and moved to Maastricht where we lived for eight years serving at that international church. The prophetic dream gave us the confidence to follow God and move across the ocean. Friends, God guides us by his world. He guides us by his word and he guides us by his whispers. Now let's bring this home to you and to me. Which one of these three wise means of revelation would you say I am most open to, I'm most comfortable with? If it were a language, I would be the most fluent in. And on the flip side, which of these three wise means of revelation would you say I am least familiar with? I'm the least comfortable in. Then let me ask you as your pastor who loves you and wants to help you grow if I can, are you willing to open yourself more to that and grow in some facility in this means of receiving revelation from God. And what I've noticed over the years is that it actually takes all three of these means for the Magi to complete their mission and for us to complete our God-given work in life. Think about what happens if these get out of balance in, uh, for us as believers. 
for example, let's say we go all in on world and very light on the other two. We get what, when I was growing up, used to be called liberal Christianity. And it's now more often called uh, progressive exvangelicalism or something like that. But it's where we take our cues from the social currents. And when those conflict with the word, the word tends to lose out as kind of an antiquated book. Okay. On the other hand, if we go too heavy here at the expense of these other two, we end up disregarding important knowledge for life. For example, a Pew Research Center study found that 37% of white evangelicals say there is no solid evidence that the planet is warming at all, when there is. And finally, if we go too heavy here on whispers at the expense of the other two, then we get kind of an overheated Christianity where God told me defeats all manner of common sense. Now, I would say that if we were asking this question for our entire church, Church of the Savior as a whole, my guess, just a guess, is that we would probably say we have a very high commitment to learning from God's word and a high commitment from learning from God's world. We live in a college town after all. And so our growth edge, maybe I'm proposing, would be over here more in opening ourselves to dreams and visions and prophecies and the leading of God's still small voice. I wonder what would it be like if we became even more fluent and became the kind of Christian community where God guides Paul like he does to, through a vision to go into Macedonia, or he guides Peter through a vision to accept even Gentiles into the church. Well, friends, our God is a revealing God. He gives you and he gives me all the revelation we need, all the guidance we need so that we can follow him and we can find him and we can make our entire lives an, entire, an act of worship to him. Amen.